Well, Genesis 24 is filled with practical wisdom, spiritual insights, and prophetic pictures. And I'm sure you've seen that. In fact, when I taught this chapter, I entitled it, Will You Go With This Man? And uh, part of what drove that is this idea of the fact that even though we haven't seen Jesus, we love him. And there's a love story, obviously, at the root of this. And this is the longest chapter in Genesis. This is 67 verses that Louise asked me to do in 25 minutes. And I was joking with her. I said, 25 minutes is normally my introduction. So how, how do I do that? So we're going to have to just move. But the backdrop uh, of this particular section is the powerful image of the gospel in Genesis 22. Abraham is a type of God the Father. Isaac, a type of God the Son. Fast forward to the son of promise, Isaac, looking for a bride, and you have the prophetic picture, because the prophetic picture is that Jesus Christ is God the Son, and he is looking for a bride. And he, he has really... Uh, looked for us. There's a lot of uh, teaching about how salvation works and who initiates it and all of that. But we know God has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And when he saves us, we become his bride. And we can see that, for example, in Ephesians 5.25, where husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. We can see this in, for example, Revelation 19.7, where the church is called the bride of Christ. And uh, you can also see that in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. So the application to us, Christ's church, is that his body, his bride, is the one that he's pursued, the one that he loves. And the picture is beautiful and meaningful, I think, uh, for all of us who see the marriage picture as a beautiful picture of the gospel. And no matter if you've had a good experience in that sense where you know, you grew up around a solid marriage or you've had some bumps along the way. This is still the ideal marriage. This is, this is a, a groom that will always love us, that will always be faithful to us. And so just as God is the father, the fatherless, he's also the husband of the widow. And he's there for the one who's hurting and, and you know, not had things maybe go the way that we would hope. So it says, now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way, 24, 2. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh. The word thigh there is yarek in Hebrew. It could mean the loins or the side. Abraham was already old, and now he was very old, <laughs> advanced in age, no doubt. The Lord had blessed him in every way. When Isaac took Rebekah as his bride, he was 40 years old, according to Genesis 25, 20. That means that Abraham at this time is 140 years old. So you thought you had aches and pains. Well, there's Abraham, right? And we know that Isaac was a miracle child, and so for, you know, fast forward 40 years when he takes Rebecca, and Abraham is obviously very old. And he calls for his, the oldest servant of his household uh, to come, and there's going to be a crucial moment here where there is an oath taken. And the oath is to look for a future daughter-in-law. 
So obviously the son of promise has been a miracle. Isaac is a miracle in their lives. But the picture is not going to be complete for these future generations to come as the sand of the seashore or the stars of the sky unless there's a daughter-in-law, right? There has to be a marriage. There has to be ongoing descendants. And so Abraham's getting ready to die, and he wants to make sure that this is taken care of. Eleazar, some scholars believe that Eleazar may be the oldest servant. And Eleazar is mentioned in Genesis 15 when Abraham says, I don't have any kids is, you know, Eleazar's the, the heir in my household. Will he be the one? So some scholars believe that Eleazar is the servant here, and his name means God is my help. And some see a picture of the Holy Spirit there that Eleazar goes out, like as in the power of the Holy Spirit, to bring the bride in, and uh, that, that may well be. And so this ancient custom of the hand under the thigh or close to the area of what you might call uh, the progeny or the future seed was a sign of a covenant. If you're interested, um, this sign of the covenant was also something that happened at, and you'll see this ahead of in your studies, I think, when uh, Jacob does the same thing as he's getting ready to die in Genesis 47. And it was the swearing of an oath and some scholars believe that the promise of the, the grabbing of the thigh connects back to the covenant of circumcision when God made a promise and that, that's the Abrahamic covenant and all the males would carry that sign. And so it could tie to that. But what we do know is that it is some sort of oath based upon future generations that I will be true to what I promise. So we have things that we call a pinky promise or cross my heart, that kind of thing. Well, in the ancient world, you know, this was a way to express that you would be good to your word, that you swore on your life or on your future children and grandchildren. He says, I will make you swear by the Lord, verse 3, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for me, for my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites. Now, we know the Canaanites were very ungodly people who didn't follow uh, the true God among whom I live, but you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. So this servant is to make an oath and there's a bride selection that's going to be carried out. And Abraham does not want that bride to come from the Canaanite peoples because then Isaac would be what? Unequally yoked. And we know that carries over to 2 Corinthians 6 where it says that a believing woman or man is not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Why? Because you're moving in two different directions. Now, Paul does tell us in 1 Corinthians 7 that if you're in a situation like that, you, you can't just leave. Now, if the unbelieving spouse left you, that's one thing, but you have to remain as you are even if you became a Christian and your spouse did not or your, your spouse made a profession of faith, you still are to stay in that relationship, um, you know, all things being equal. So we'll just leave it there. But So the servant said to him, suppose the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land, should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, beware, lest you take my son back there. Uh, Isaac was never permitted to leave the land of Israel even in time of famine, 
Uh, you can write down 26.2 of Genesis. And scholars believe that Isaac becomes a picture of the nation and the promise of God to the people of the land that they were not to leave the land, even though we know because of sin they did. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me, verse 7, from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, to answer your question, then you will be free from this oath of the grabbing of the thigh, only to take uh, my son back, only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. You might remember, and you can write this down for your notes, Genesis 32, 24 through 32, where Jacob uh, ends up wrestling with that divine visitor all night, and that divine visitor grabs him, and he ends up limping. And that uh, interaction, we believe, it ties to this picture where Jacob's wondering if he's going to die and God's not going to be good to his promise. And God, uh, God literally may have done the same thing of grabbing his thigh to confirm the promise. So it says, Then the servant took ten camels, from the camels of his master, verse 10, set out with a variety of good things of his masters in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Probably traveled between 500 to 1,000 miles, probably in a camel caravan, would have taken roughly, you could say, let's just put it this way, it would have been a several months journey to travel that long. He had made the camels kneel down outside the city. So we get now fast forward in the story. He's arrived, but this would be long, arduous travel. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when the women would go out to draw water. And he said, verse 12, O Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master, Abraham. Now the camels were praying... They were on their knees. I don't know how a camel prays, but they probably sound like, Woo, help us, Lord. Anyway, and so um, this is the first recorded prayer in the Bible, by the way, right here. And he, and he prays, give me success. And, and in this sense that I want to be in your will and I want to understand, you know, who to go to, who this woman should be. So please direct me. And we're going to find out later that he spoke the prayer in his heart. He didn't even speak it out loud. Which tells me something about prayer, that prayer does not always have to be verbally articulated for God to hear us. He knows a word before we speak it, a thought before we think it, and he knows our heart. And even when we don't know how to fully articulate a prayer, which I'm in that situation many, many times, Lord, I don't even know how to pray, or sometimes I find myself just praying in my heart, that's okay. God hears those prayers too. They count. <laughs> if you wonder, do they really, are they, do they count halfway if you pray? No, they, they count. And we find out that this is how he did pray. And he's, he's praying uh, for success. And I asked the question in my notes, where did the servant learn to pray like this? Probably from Abraham. And don't forget about the power of your examples, ladies. Your example in 
your household to your children and grandchildren is powerful. And have you noticed that those who are around us who maybe grow up in our households, they start to pray like we do. And then they, then they start praying better than we do. And you're like, Lord, where did this child get this faith? Uh, where did they get such a sweet, innocent, beautiful trust in you? So that, that's a huge impact. So anyway, he says, Behold, I'm standing by the spring 13. The daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, Please let down your jar so that I may drink. And who answers, Drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And by this I shall know that thou hast shown loving kindness to my master. Now notice that the prayer of the servant is about the master. It's not about his will. He's doing something completely for somebody else. But he's acting in that servant role, which we all need to do. We want to please our master. This was not a presumptive prayer. The servant was already on God's path. This was about being certain that the right girl, all that God wanted to do, he would provide. And this, uh, I put in my notes, is this a good model for picking a wife? <laughs> All right, Lord, may the girl that offers to refill my soda, may she be the one. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how much stock we should put in prayers like that, but there is precedent here that if we ask God for a sign, and I know we all wonder about asking God for signs, and, and I do think we need to be careful about that. You heard about the guy who, he walked into a store, and he said to uh, the woman behind the counter, she was pretty, he said, you look like my second wife. And she said, how many times have you been married? And he said, once. Anyway. You'll get that in a minute. <laughs> so the prayer of the servant is great. He prays. We're to pray without ceasing. He prays in his heart. He prays for God's will to be done. Such a God, of course, is great beyond our imaginings because he maintains all life. This is an awesome thought. The God of Scripture is not simply a God of miracles who occasionally injects his power into life. He is far greater because he arranges all of life to suit and affect his providence. This makes all of life a miracle, says one writer. Each moment of our lives, if we're to pray without ceasing, then we should pray about a lot of things that maybe we don't pray about. You know, you could be in a restaurant, you could be somewhere and just say, Lord, if you have an opportunity for me right now, I want to be sensitive to your spirit. I believe that you will lead me in everyday life. And I think that's part of what we see here. So it came about, before he had finished speaking or praying, that behold, Rebecca, her name means cow or noose. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Other than I looked at one, uh, <laughs> I looked at one uh, dictionary and it said that it can mean captivating. And so we know that she indeed was beautiful. And she was, who was born to Bethuel, Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. So out comes Rebekah. And if we think maybe the name means captivating, you can see the picture here. She comes out, she's ready to draw water. This was a daily thing that they would do. 
And it was a difficult thing, and I'll give you some of the details in a moment. The girl was very beautiful, 16. She was a virgin. No man had had relations with her. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran down to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when, they, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence. <laughs> Could she be the one to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not? What the servant asked was ingenious because it would reveal the character of the woman. She was the first lady there which revealed her character. This was a daily arduous task of drawing water, but she showed up early and got it done. A woman who would volunteer to do this would be incredibly kind, hardworking, and selfless. The servant asked that this would reveal the right woman for Isaac. She volunteered to draw water for the camels as well, to grasp what a wonder this is, I'm quoting a commentary. We must understand that the ancient well was a large, deep hole in the earth with steps leading down to the spring of water, so that each drawing of water required substantial effort. And more, a camel typically would drink about 25 gallons of water, and an ancient water jar held about three gallons of water. This means that Rebecca made between 80 to 100 descents into the well. As to the amount of time she gave to this, a camel takes about 10 minutes to drink its full complement of water. Rebecca's labors filled probably about two sweaty hours of work to give water to the camels. And all the while, the servant watched without saying a word to see whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful, close quote. Can you imagine? There she goes again. There she goes again. There, here she comes up again. There she goes down again. This is a tough, hard-working lady. And if you're the servant, you have to be going, ding, 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 ding. Yeah! Just struck the jackpot. Look at her. She's beautiful, tough, hard-working offers to serve so it was a clever plan now it came about when the camels had finished drinking 22 that the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels in gold and said whose daughter are you please tell me is there a room for us to lodge in your father's house and she said to him i am the daughter of beth bethel i can say that word beth ul the son of milka milka whom she bore to nahor wonder of wonders rebecca identifies herself as the granddaughter of abraham's brother nahor which i guess means she was a great niece and uh my, i said to brenda what what's the relationship and i we started to try to put together the cousins and what does this mean and I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, there was a family connection, and that was great because that's what was wanted and desired. And so all of a sudden, uh, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed to room to lodge in. The man bowed low, and what did he do? He worshiped the Lord. Have you ever been there before where you 
you were trying not to be anxious about something and you prayed about it, and you actually did what the Bible said. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, you made your request known to the Lord. And you prayed, and you prayed, and God answered your prayer, and the only way you could respond is worship. Amen? You know, prayer is really worship, and we're supposed to worship instead of worrying. Oh God, help me get better at that. Help me to be a man of prayer and to pray about everything and to give you everything so that I can trust that what comes in and out of my life is, has been woven together in prayer and thus is from your hand. Worship is all about what we seek. Worship is all about what consumes us. And isn't it interesting that that's what worry is too? Worry is all about what consumes you. And some of you may be here and you have been consumed by worry. It's at the forefront of your mind. You can't get it out of your brain. And it's perfectly understandable and very human. But what if you were to tip the scales a little bit away from the worry and a little bit more into worship? Which prayer is a form of worship, amen? Well, that's what the servant did. And, you know, you can imagine this long journey, this... Uh, Who's this girl going to be? Am I going to be successful? He could have worried about every single detail of this, but he just believed that, he, that God was going to guide him. And he put you know, this test out there, and all of a sudden God is faithful, as we know he always is. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, 27, who has not forsaken his loving kindness, that's the word hesed, and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. She was fired up. It's amazing she still had energy, but she was young. <laughs> now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. We're going to meet him uh, later, and he's a conniver, but we'll just leave it as Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. Everybody's running around. It came about when he saw the ring and the bracelets. We know Laban was big into money. On his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, this is what the man said to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I've prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Laban is a name that rings a bell, and we know that he's a conniver and so forth, but Laban's running around trying to accommodate this guy. But when food was set before him to eat, before the servant, he said, I will not eat until I've told my business. And he said, speak on. Now, my understanding of tradition is normally you would eat the meal and then you would talk business, which is what I prefer, because <laughs> I always want to eat first, right? Keep the prayers short. We got to eat. And if you're in an Italian family, the food cannot get cold. It is a mortal sin. If you don't eat as soon as the stuff came out of the oven, you have to repent in sackcloth and ashes. And then you have to finish everything that was on your plate, right? Come on, eat. What are you going to Where's everybody? Let's go. Anyway, I I'm sure you guys can relate to that. Some of, us, some of us become a bit uh, 
fleshly in the kitchen? Anybody else? Or <laughs> the running joke is, uh, it's like when I'm in the kitchen, I want everybody to stay away, but then I'm wondering why nobody's helping. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I could go a lot of places, but we'll leave that. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he's become rich. He's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my sister's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he's given him all that he has. So Abraham's great wealth, all that he has, is now passed down to Isaac, this miracle child. And since, you know, they live far apart, not everybody knew all these details, there's no... Uh, modern communication devices. My master made me swear you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. Now I'm going to save you the repetition because the servant just retells the story, right? And you've already seen this. So basically he says, this is what he told me to do. This is how I came. This is how I prayed. This is how I saw your daughter. This is, you know, so he just gives all the detail. But I want you to see verse 45, skip down. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, that's the prayer we mentioned in his heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. So she had to be moving in that direction. God is weaving things together before he was even praying. And went down to the spring and drew, and I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder, said, drink. And I will water your camels also. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. What a girl, right? Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Bethuel Nahor's son, whom Milk, Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose. Isn't that interesting? Apparently a nose ring. And the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed low and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So now, if you are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the matter comes from the Lord. They heard the story and they're like, man, God is in this. So we cannot speak to you bad or good. We can't deny God is working. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And it came about when Abraham's servant heard their words that he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. This is the third time we've seen this faithful servant bow in worship. 53. And the servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments, gave them to Rebecca. She had to be thinking, <laughs> he gave precious things to her brother. This is a smart man. And to her mother. Everybody's trying on the bracelets. And maybe you put them under the shiny lights with the dark velvet background. And like, oh, oh, yeah, sparkly. And as believers, we are clothed with the righteousness of our God. Amen. The jewels of salvation. He's decked us out with the garments of his righteousness. Amen? And that's why we're beautiful. Because of who lives in us and who loves us. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank 
spent the night. And when they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master, 55. But her brother and her mother said, and you could imagine the emotion, let the girl stay with us a few days, say 10. <laughs> Afterwards, she may go. But the time was now, and the master, you know, remember the trip was probably a couple of months. He said to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. Then they called Rebecca, 58, said to her, will you go with this man? That's the title I gave to this section. And she said, I will go. You see, sisters, we walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And even though I haven't seen him, I love him, 1 Peter 1. I think that's verse 8. Even though I haven't seen him, I love him. And though you don't see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice, 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, with joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In order to be saved, you have to hear the Holy Spirit's call and you have to say, I do. At the Last Supper, when Jesus was uh, instituting those elements, he, uh, he took the bread and the cup and he offered it to his disciples. And if you've ever heard Ray Vanderlaan Ray Vanderlaan, the historian that's been on a lot of the Focus on the Family videos from Israel, said that when Jesus offered the cup that night, the cup of wine in Jewish uh, circles represented joy and life, and it represented the life of the one that offered it. And typically in a dowry uh, ceremony, at the beginning of a dowry ceremony, the father of the prospective groom would take a uh, cup of wine, and it represented the life of the groom, and he would offer it to the prospective bride. And she had a moment of decision. And if she took the cup and drank from the cup, she was saying, I receive your life, as pictured in the wine, and I give you back my own. And Ray Vanderlaan beautifully said that at the table of the Last Supper, Jesus was saying to the early church, to his 12, will you marry me? And one man, of course, didn't make it. And essentially, he said, I won't. I won't. I won't go your way. He, he had betrayal in his heart. But we know what happened with those 11. They said, we do. We will trust you. And now, as the gospel goes out, we all have a moment of decision. You, you guys can think back to the time when you first said, I do, I will, when he gave you an invitation of love. And then you got... Interestingly enough, when you get saved, you get something that in modern Greek is called arhaban. It's the pledge of God's promise, and it's actually the modern word for pledge is an engagement ring. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life, he seals you for the day of redemption for all that's in our future, and he is the pledge of God's future promise. And he puts the Holy Spirit into our lives and he says, this is my promise, the promised Holy Spirit. I am going to bring you safely into my heavenly kingdom and you have my down payment, you have my promise. Isn't that beautiful? And so 
Anyway, um, they sent her away, Rebecca, her nurse, with Abraham's servant. It had to be a very emotional moment. They blessed Rebecca 60, said to her, may you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. I'm over my time, so I'm going to quickly move. That's a promise that was made to Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22, 17, and 18. Rebecca arose with her maids. They mounted the camels, followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Now Isaac had come from going uh, to Beer Lahoi Roy, for he was living in the Negev, the desert. And Isaac went out to meditate or to commune in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Obviously, this is fast-forwarding. No, no, uh, no highlights of the trip, no discussions from Rebecca to the servant. What's Isaac like? What does he look like? What does he like to wear? What movies does he like? I'm sure there's a lot of that. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, he's my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. This may be a veil for the whole body, and it's a wedding veil, typical of that culture. This has been a long trip for Rebecca and Isaac. It patiently waited, but now the anticipation was realized, all beautiful typology. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And he's preparing a place for his bride, that's us. Designing it, in my father's house there are many. I'm hoping for a mansion, I don't know about you. I think the King James is right, they're all mansions. <laughs> There's yachts too, I, I don't know, anyway. And Revelation 22 says we're going to see his face. Can you imagine the moment, if you could just... Try to feel it for a second. She, she takes this step of faith. She knows God is guiding. They finally arrive after a long journey, and she sees him, and he sees her. Beautiful, isn't it? You remember back to the time when maybe you had a moment like that with a love of your life, and you were just like, wow. God has fulfilled my dreams I'm sure the meeting had to be profound. I'm sure there were tears. So the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. He took Rebekah. She became his wife. And he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This brought some solace to his life because he lost obviously the most important woman in his life, but now his bride was there and he loved her with an everlasting love. Beautiful. And I think that the connections that uh, we can see to our place with Jesus and how much he loves us, how he pursued us, how he gives us promises, and how um, he will never leave us or forsake us is great. And this is part of the covenant picture and all of that. So I think uh, it's a remarkable chapter with encouragement and beauty for each of us. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this incredible chapter. There's a lot of great lessons we can learn about prayer, about practical insights, about how we navigate the Christian life with all the questions we have about walking in your will. 
and Lord. There's beautiful typology here. <clears throat> a picture of Christ and his bride. A love story indeed. And it's a beautiful one. And we're so grateful to be part of the drama. And even though we haven't seen you yet, we love you. Thank you for first loving us. Thank you for coming to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank you for showering upon us a love and gifts and promises that are precious and magnificent. Ones that give us the greatest hope in our lives. And I pray that those precious promises would encourage these ladies to press on in their walk, to know how much they are loved and treasured, to know in the, the, the different weaving and uh, hallways of life and the different winds and stretches that you are there, that you are, uh, you're a providential God, that you're working in our lives, even when we don't see everything. And may we be those who walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.